Thank you for joining us for this episode of From All Sides, a podcast by Cube Group, where we explore the strategic, organizational, and human sides of the major issues facing public value organizations in the current world, and particularly the current COVID-19 crisis. Our series focuses on the different ways the COVID-19 pandemic impacts public service leaders and their organizations. And we discuss the ways we can be better prepared to lead Australia through response and recovery. Cube Group acknowledges the traditional owners on the land in which we work. Cube's offices is on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge them as the traditional owners of the land on which we work and pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and to Aboriginal Elders and community members who may be listening today. For more information on each episode of the podcast, please visit our website, cubegroup.com.au. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Today is August 16, 2021. For more than half of Australia, the past few weeks have felt a bit like a painful Groundhog Day. Significant lockdowns have returned to Sydney and Melbourne, and Queensland and rural parts of New South Wales and Victoria have also experienced shorter lockdowns. COVID-19 case numbers continue to rise in New South Wales. The state recorded almost 500 new cases today, around double the daily new cases of two weeks ago. And while Victoria's cases remain relatively low, they're still a long way from the double zeros that we've been enjoying in previous weeks. Meanwhile, vaccination rates are picking up, no doubt spurred on by the National Cabinet's decision to link the opening up of COVID-19 restrictions to achieving high vaccination rates. Currently, just over one quarter of adult Australians are fully vaccinated and almost half have received their first vaccination. People under 40 have begun to get increased access to vaccines including the AstraZeneca vaccine being more readily available. As our major cities remain in lockdown, there continue to be people and organisations that are more dramatically impacted by these restrictions than others. It's hard to think of an area more impacted than our city's central business districts. Often the heart and the engine of our economic, cultural and community activities, central city areas like Victoria City of Melbourne have seen dramatic changes in their activity levels the activity levels that make them such vibrant, stimulating places to be. Melbourne, for example, saw a 90% reduction in fall traffic during the height of the lockdowns. And many of us will have seen those haunting photos of an empty Flinders Street station or Burke Street Mall. And yet there are also signs of recovery and, as always, of newness, innovation and excitement returning to the city, as well as a desperation among many Australians, myself included, to get back to that excitement and dynamism that the city has always offered as soon as we possibly can. To discuss the impact of COVID-19 and the physical distancing restrictions on our city, our guest today is Katrina McKenzie from the City of Melbourne. The City of Melbourne is a local government body responsible for central Melbourne. Melbourne's municipal area covers just 37 square kilometres compared to the almost 10,000 square kilometres of Greater Melbourne, but it's home to some 180,000 people. It hosts almost a million people every day, And it's a destination for 1 million international travellers every year. With economic activity in excess of a billion dollars each year, it represents a quarter of Victoria's total economic activity. That is, in a normal year. Katrina is the General Manager for the City Economy and Activation, leading efforts for recovery, revitalisation and building back better for Melbourne's economic and cultural life. Katrina, thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. Tom, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. What's your remote working setup like and, and how have you found it so far? Well, I'm talking to you from the land of Wurundjeri people and I do have a quiet space to work from home, which I'm grateful for. 
have I miss being in the office and the collaboration that comes with a physical presence. What I'm doing differently is that I'm up extra early out the door and training my 11-year-old son for his 1,500-metre running event. So that's been fun. That's a lovely way to start the day. Let's get into it. Preparing for this podcast, I was thinking that it's hard to imagine a place that's more at the centre of COVID-19 restrictions than the city of Melbourne. I wonder if you could start by sketching out what that impact has been. How much has the city's activity been impacted and how much are those impacts continuing even outside of a lockdown environment? I wouldn't mind starting with where we were in 2019. So we were recognised as one of the world's most competitive, resilient economies. We had just had a record gross local product of $104 billion, engine room of Victoria's economy. So with the just 37 kilometres, we're quite a small local government the fastest growing municipality in Australia. So things were looking good. We had close to a million people coming into the city. They're really strong and still do have knowledge and life science sector. And we thrived as a university city, leading creative, live music, events. Things were going well. Our challenge was actually growing pains. But then the city of Melbourne's economy has been impacted by the COVID pandemic almost more than any other area in the country. At the height of one of the lockdowns, the number of people in the city was down 90%. So the previous strengths we've had, like being university city, which I just think adds so much to having all the students in the city, is usually wonderful. So as an organisation, we went from having great strengths like events and education to overnight, they became, that well, they largely disappeared. Industry was so badly impacted. So although they're still there and they're great strengths for the future, Right now, it is really quite challenging. But as an organisation, we haven't wanted to go back. No one does. We want to be part of leading you know, a much better future, and that really does need to be done collaboratively. You mentioned activity in the city falling by about 90%. I know, I know you've got statistics then of how much that bounced back, obviously prior to the current lockdown. How much yeah. were we getting back to uh, some semblance of a normal prior to this most recent lockdown? In terms of um, pedestrian foot traffic, it was still only about 60% Monday to Thursday, but on the weekends it has been as much as 85%. So what has changed is that instead of people coming in for work, they come in for a purpose and that might be an activation or uh, we've run a, a range of campaigns that people are interested in. They come in for that as opposed to they used to come in every day for work. So the transient population we had of close to a million, that's what's disappeared largely. And I suppose the flow-on effect from that, driven by office workers, which might be the slowest yeah. to return, and then the economy that's built around those workers is, is a big part of that engine as well, the hospitality and the services industries that support that. It is the office workers, but with students who... For every student that's here, there's also the tourism that's associated with them. They are also a really important workforce for the hospitality and retail industry. So it's the office workers, but it's also the students. Missing both of them, we're down to about half the students we used to have. And what about the City of Melbourne itself? I know you're, in your own right, a a very large organisation, a lot of employees. What was the impact on your services and activities and how many of those were continuing and and how many had to be suspended or or changed through the lockdown? There are services that are essential to be done in person, such as health and keeping the city clean. However, there were many services that were previously always done in person that are now online, like libraries and reading programs. We also set up new services. 
And one in particular was has been really important. And we set up a business concierge in March when it really started hitting. So it's not just what we did, but it's also what we need to do next. We've made around 23,000 calls to businesses since that time. And it's to help support them, whether it's providing information or navigating whatever they might need at the time. So it's been a real mix of going online, creating new, and some that actually still need to be done in person. How's that transition happened for City of Melbourne? It's quite a transformation to be happening in the midst of, of all this as well. It is. We've also found that we've got people who used to do a job that we can't really do right now. So, for example, if you're a lifeguard and the pools are closed, or if you're working visitor services, or so there's been a range of services that we've adapted and people have been fantastic. So if we're looking at how it's worked out, you wouldn't think that a city would get more graffiti or dirtier when people are not there, but it has. We ran what we call a grind-busting street cleaning campaign. And in the first half of this year alone, we uh, removed an additional 1,000 pieces of graffiti and put 1.5 hectares of anti-graffiti coating onto buildings to stop that graffiti. So we've adapted, um, people have adapted, it's finding people work that's really important and um, what really needs to be done in the future and certainly making sure that we're clean and sparkling for when people return has also been important. How are the City of Melbourne thinking about the longer term for Melbourne? How many of these changes do you see being with us for quite a bit of time now and how are you starting to adapt? So Melbourne's economy is built on many strengths, and many, most of which are still in place despite COVID. So we still have world-leading sectors such as the life sciences, financial services, education. So we've still got the world-class universities still here. So it's a mix of what we do to attract people in now but also what is a city shaping project that actually gives benefit for longer term as well. It's been in many different ways, many different projects, but one in particular uh, I can highlight is what we call a flash forward creative laneway program. So this is a project, so we work by we are leading with creative sector, but all of a sudden the creatives didn't have any work because the whole industry was closed. So this $8 million project employed 160 creative people. So it's transforming 40 of the city's laneways with murals and street arts and lights. And it is fantastic. So it's a wonderful way to drive visitation and a longer term, a great network through the city in terms of something that will attract people to bring them back. But also longer term, it will really add value to the city, I think. The longer term aspects of the city economy, I think we're really keen to make sure that we are inclusive, that we collaborate and build back better than we were. The types of things that we've started now, I think will remain a feature, well, I hope they do. So the outdoor dining, which was critical in supporting hospitality industry with with all the distance requirements. I think during the peak, but we had an additional 850 permits and car parks were turning into parklets and all sorts of things. So there was an additional 18,000 seats. So I actually hope that the outdoor dining side of it continues. We've really had to do activations differently and events differently as well. Opportunity, I suppose, in in all this around just having a bit more space to think differently about what the way normally extremely busy city operates or, or chances to upgrade infrastructure and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, how that looks in terms of the streets and creating so there's more spaces to walk and actually how you experience the street at the public realm is also changing to reflect this. So, yeah, having less car parks, 
to make these parklets and to actually have more places for people to walk has actually been a great benefit. In preparing for this, you also mentioned things you've been doing to try and keep alive that sense of newness and adventure in the city at a time where those events couldn't be on. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and the way that you've been able to still create the buzz and excitement of the city at a time when we still can't have the crowds that might normally come along with that? Oh, absolutely. So it's how you create surprise and delight and you never know what you're going to see when you're in the city. And there's been a couple that I've just loved. Well, there's been many, but I'll highlight a couple. So there was what we call music in the city and we had buskers and we are, uh, I think, live music capital of the world. We were. And busking's been part of that. Busking closed because there were less people around. So there was so few. So we paid for the buskers to come back. But we actually also started doing busking celebrity pop-ups. So there was Vance Joy, Tones and I, Kate Sobrano, Jimmy Barnes. So you've got a real range of people who would just pop up. And then we would put out a little in advance saying, this is who's going to pop up today. This is where they're going to be. And it just added so much joy. And it was a lot of fun, that Music in the City program. But the other one, that so also doing it from a totally different perspective of being able to plan. So some people want to be able to plan where they go in the the city. So there also has this activations to support that. So one was Urban Blooms. So the florists, as you can imagine, they'd normally have a lot of orders for different venues and hospitality. So their whole industry has been impacted as well. And we've got such creative florists and they did these big installations of urban blooms, flowers and other aspects and put them around the city. So we had a trail to go out and enjoy. And it was really, very, really enjoyable. But actually running the marketing campaign alongside of this has been quite key, whether it be to support hotel experiences or the hospitality. So it's really being able to engage with people in multiple ways, whether it be surprise and delight or plan, and these are the ways that you can move around the city and what there is to see. How much are you thinking about the sort of medium-term impacts on the Melbourne, particularly the city of Melbourne, maybe in relation to things like home working? Have you looked at how that's likely to continue and where, where you see that over the longer term? Oh, we have, and I think this, this is still out for a while in terms of how this will play out. I do think that office working from home has undoubtedly become a feature However, what studies are showing is that innovation and that collaborative work, particularly for the knowledge economy, is done better in person. We are a knowledge economy. I do think that returning to the office will be important part, but actually how you do that. So it won't be coming in to sit in a cubicle. It'll be coming in with intent for what you would like to achieve with your colleagues or what you're doing with stakeholders. So I see a role for the city still in terms of returning back. It's obviously shifted somewhat, but because of our sector's strengths being knowledge, life sciences, it's not a transactional, it's that real add value. So that's where I think our strength will return. We had uh, a previous conversation with the demographics group and they were talking about the changing nature of the office exactly along the lines that you'd said. And so they saw Melbourne particularly as a place that would be well-placed to thrive in that new refocused office working. It's a place of creativity. It's a place of collaboration. It's a place with many, well, you mentioned students, but also um, people from all over the world. Melbourne's actually pretty well-placed to be exactly that kind of hub, isn't it? Oh, it totally is. We've actually got a whole range of collaborative working spaces and fantastic libraries where people have already been going to collaborate and work there, whether it be students. So we are well-placed for that. 
What's the experience been like for you and and your team at the City of Melbourne? How have you found the process of managing the the change yourself and also of how much adaptation was required of of you during a period of really significant challenge? Mm. We worked very quickly on actually how as an organisation do we set up a recovery plan? So an integrated across the whole organisation what do we most need to focus on to get it right? And so we had a recovery plan that we worked with with stakeholders. The council have been incredibly strong and involved and keen to actually see something good to come out of this in the end. There was that short-term recovery revitalisation plan. At the same time, we've been working on, okay, what does a longer-term vision look like? What does our economy look like? What's most important to people? What do they most want from us as a city and how do we support that? So there was a lot of pressure on make sure we deliver the now as well as looking to the future. How quickly was the process of adjusting from let's sort of get through this and then and then get back to normal to the position that you're very clearly now in, which is actually bringing back into something better and new and, and actually recognising the transformation that this change is going to be rather than a short-term crisis that we need to weather. Was that a journey for the City of Melbourne or is that something that you were kind of pretty quick to grasp? I think we had to be pretty quick to grasp it because there was no choice. <laughs> we really had to get on with it. But it's also iterative. So if we look at the events industry, which has been really hitch. We went instead of, say with Melbourne Fashion Week, instead of having a indoor fashion event, we turned the streets, the laneways into the runways and had the hospitality industry as ringside with, say, Moomba, which was particularly challenging. Instead of having it a concentrated place, of, which is on the round of Yarra, actually run things across the city. But it's not like the team planned one iteration. They've probably planned half a dozen iterations before got the COVID settings right and we're out. So I think it's um, people are have been fantastically strong in getting on with it, but also iterative and we have to keep planning. So today with us going down into two more weeks of lockdown, what does that mean for our services? How do we adapt? Where do we need to focus? You mentioned at the start of this that you miss the office environment and how has that experience been for you, the ways in which you and your team have worked together? Well, particularly, I suppose, in a time where you're having to think strategically and undoubtedly communicate a lot. Yeah, what have you learned about working online and working in, in teams in a, in a remote setting? Well, that we've done a whole lot better than we would have ever thought possible. <laughs> so it's a strong start point. I do think if you're just working through your tasks and it's more transactional, it's a lot easier. Whereby you're looking to be more innovative or work more collaboratively, I really do feel like being together is much better. And it also can be when we're setting up, set up a new nighttime economy advisory board. So, for example, the nighttime economy advisory board was a real strength, but the way the COVID settings have landed, this industry has been hit particularly badly. When we're setting something up like that, which is with a new group, we're really keen to work with them and it's that strategic as well as shorter term. That's also harder. I think partnerships, which they absolutely are to us, like fantastic, getting that going across Zoom is just harder. It's not that it's, it is impossible. We recently met, we had that window of opportunity to meet in person and it was just so much better. So I have found Zoom very efficient. It has been good but it just does not replace the face-to-face work that you can get done with people. What's something you've learned from this experience that you hope that we can take forward, hopefully with it before too long as we start to see this pandemic in the rearview mirror? Um, the importance of optimism. 
and seizing the opportunity to see what we can create next and move forward. I think it's been the greatest important day today and also a learning. My guest today has been Katrina McKenzie from the City of Melbourne. Katrina, thanks so much for being a part of this conversation. Thank you, Tom.